by the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF indeed. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to have you with us. And of course, we're glad to be working, as always, of a Friday with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, Benny? Doing very well, kids. And I always like to have a point on this show as well. Keeps everyone engaged. What do you think? That's a man doing his job. I know, and a great job he does. And speaking of a man doing his job, the circles under our eyes, if you were here in our living room with us in our home studio, you would see that we were up late last night watching Tom Brady work his magic for week one, the kickoff game of the NFL. I don't think the guy understands that there is an aging process in human life. None whatsoever. He's my age. If I was still doing it, I'd be impressed as well. (laughs) as would we all i know right (laughs) and i i felt bad for the dallas kicker because that hole over the course of that game he he went from being the goat and we don't mean greatest of all time the the proverbial goat (laughs) to a would-be hero but he was thwarted by the inability of dallas to hold off tom brady and his associates there on the field of course when you're watching it on the east coast and suzanne and i live in sarasota you you get a different perspective on time as Suzanne can tell you, many a Monday night, she would watch football and then she had to get up early to go to her job. And so she would do that and she'd have to arri- arrive at work the next day to find out who won the game. Sometimes I did actually go to bed before the game was over because it lasts till almost midnight here. And I had to get up early to, to go to work. So there you have it. But football is back and we'll see how the Seahawks do. They're getting ready. Opening against Indy, I believe, the Colts. Yes, it'll be a uh, morning game for us, a brunch game is, is what we would call it. A brunch lot of game. probably mimosas, manmosas being screwed all over. <laughs> manmosas. Yeah. Oh, you know, you, do you want to know what a manmosa is? You just I do. Yeah. switch yeah. out the champagne because I'm not a huge fan of that type of bubbly. I go with more uh-huh. of a lighter a lighter beer and then a little sprinkle of a little vodka on the top of that. That is your traditional uh-huh. manmosa, of course, with orange juice uh-huh. of Okay. So, food for thought. As, as Dr. Evil would say, it has a je ne sais, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. oh, what is it? Yes, quite right. One other thing, Benny, which I am sorry that I failed to tell you, <gasps> but I'm going to give you an hour to do something for me. Just one hour and clock goes. Uh, Sunday, <laughs> somebody is having a birthday. No way. Yeah. Who? Our Virgo friend here, Mr. Gary Mann. Sweet. Oh, thank you. The Beatles singing a happy birthday song to me. I gave you an hour, and you are such a genius. You just pulled that up in (laughs) seconds. Benny, there's nobody like you. Nobody. Stop it. Nobody. Stop it. I had to dust that one off. It's been a while. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that kind recollection. Those birthdays, it's kind of a syndrome. They keep showing up once a Every year, and year. I can't do anything to put them off. Nope. I just have to yeah. absorb it. Yep. It's a great story. And you know what? We're full of stories. Today. Yeah. We are so full of stories. Woo! We are full of stories. Look at Suzanne coming up with the appropriate segue. We, I love we that. We have an, an official, fantastic story. 
storyteller on today. Absolutely. And for us, this is so perfect because we believe that in talk radio, apart from the rest of the AM dial, which seems to be largely consumed by uh, talk of a political persuasion, yeah, it, yeah, it veers off in that direction. It's not that we never do that kind of thing. However, we love the stories. I just say it, it, it's something that I believe that in talk radio, if you want to do the best kind of talk radio, if you really want to touch people, it's all about the stories because we all have our own stories to tell and we can relate and empathize with what other people have experienced, what they have survived, what they have enjoyed and what has inspired them. We have a returning guest today. But it's been years since she's been on. And the last time she was on, we talked about Jin Shin Jitsu. Fascinating topic. That's not what we're going to talk about today, though, because today we are celebrating the one year anniversary of her book of stories. So why don't you do the intro today, Gary, and let's bring this lady. Very on. good. And you'll be first chair leading the interview and I will weigh in. Uh, I love it. Too. Our friend Colleen Foy Bolin is with us today. She is a professional writer and an award-winning author. Colleen has published hundreds of articles in national and regional publications and also a how-to writing book, Shorts, A Gateway into New Markets. Spirituality is an intricate part of Colleen's daily life. Dreamwork, meditation, and prayer help her navigate everyday situations. Colleen is also a, oh, you would throw that Jin Shin, Jin Shin Jutsu practitioner. Yeah. I'll let her explain it. I would be lousy at that. <laughs> Sounds important. Yeah. So we'll find out more about that. And she is the owner of a healing arts practice called Flowing Stillness. I love that. Combining her years of teaching with decades of writing. Colleen conducts workshops about writing, spirituality, and creativity. She lives somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Where is my Google map? Where's my GPS? We found her right here. PNW tells me it's going to be Seattle. I'm going to say yes. That's All probably right. true. And so across the miles, once again, meeting up with our friend, Colleen Foy Bolin. Colleen, how are you today, my dear? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And congratulations on your book, now a one-year-old baby. How has the book been doing and how have you been doing with the book? Uh, the book's been doing well, yes. I mean, it's kind of an unusual time to launch a book. Um, you know, it came out in the middle of the pandemic when most of the places one would typically promote a book uh, were not open. But uh I've been doing uh, radio shows and articles and word of mouth, and uh, it's been working. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. The title of the book is Savoring Life's Spiritual Moments. Savoring Life's Spiritual Moments. And the subtitle is The Alchemy of Transforming Everyday Experiences into Life-Changing Events. Gary and mm -hmm. I have been reading the book during the last week. And it's one great story after another, such that we had to limit what we were going to talk about today and just choose a couple of things for the here and now to talk about. And I want to just get right into the stories. And Colleen, the first story I'm going to ask you to talk about kind of tells one on yourself. But when you're looking at savoring life's spiritual moments, one of the first stories that I found that kind of gave me the giggles 
was the story about His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And when I read that, I had to laugh because you were you were telling one on yourself in the funniest of ways. So tell us uh, that story. Okay. Um, the Dalai Lama was on the front of a magazine that I really wanted to get. And so I traveled through Seattle traffic to get a copy and sat right next to me, in, I thought, in the bag. And um, when I got home, I went through the, the groceries and looked for the magazine and it wasn't there. And... You know, here his beautiful smile, you know, I had looking forward to seeing and, and, and the article about disarmament, personal disarmament. And in a flash, I just like I turned into the, you know, incredible Hulk, you know, just <laughs> yeah. angry and green and yelling and calling this poor clerk all these horrible names. And then um, awareness hit me and I was like, <laughs> this is ridiculous, you know? I mean, here I am wanting to buy this article about personal disarmament, which maybe this proves that I really needed it. Um, and I couldn't even control my own emotions. And so, you know, once I had that awareness, which I think is key to any change we wanna make in our lives is to first be aware change needs to be made. Um, you know, I laughed and um, I actually went back to the store and, and did get the copy and I made a real big point to be nice to the clerk who I had been making up names for at home. And, <laughs> and I, when I got home, I put the magazine, I mean, I read the article, but I put the magazine, I kept it on my desk for like two years, just because I knew I really needed to be reminded of what was going on inside of me and that it's not just reading about principles or studying about spirituality it's it's how to incorporate it into my personal everyday life and you had seen the dalai lama in person yes in portland yes, i i did a couple of times when he was doing a tour in the seattle area yeah Back in the day when you would have these incredible Hulk moments, did you, <laughs> did, you did you constantly have to uh, replenish your wardrobe, bursting through blouses and whatnot? Because <laughs> we don't know that, Colleen Boyville. No. We know you as someone who is a wise and very calm and in, an introspective, if I may say, woman who nevertheless shares with the world your point of view and your spirituality in a way that would make anyone vulnerable. That, that's a wonderful, you know, you're the kind of person, I heard a minister say this about going into the ministry, but someone doing what you do as, as a cultural creative, as a writer and a spiritual person, you're doing what this one minister I knew used to say, and that is you get to grow in public. Yeah. With what you do, you're putting it out there and people are watching and reading and listening. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's um, a very big challenge because I am... Uh, a shy introvert. And for me, <clears throat> writing the book and doing all of that work was relatively easy. But the coming out publicly and, and having my little baby, you know, be read by different people, and, you know, exposing the underbelly of myself, that that was hard. Yeah. Yes. But for me, the, the book is more... Um, you know, I tell the stories, 
But then the big part for me is for the reader to make it their story. And that's why at the end of each story, I have that section called make it your story. And my idea is that my story might spark something for them. But the biggest piece is, is how they incorporate it and how they see it in their own lives and what they do with it in that form. I was, um, I was saying to Gary, you are a guest in our perfect demographic because we are all baby boomers and the stories, and, and I think the stories really reflect where you are now based on a lifetime of experiences, but not just that, a lifetime of growth and achieving some wisdom. We were having the conversation this morning in our living room about hopefully when you gain some years, you also gain some wisdom. You, you look toward happiness. You look toward how can I live a calm, peaceful, wonderful life? I don't mm -hmm. want to uh, keep struggling till the end of my days. I don't want to be angry till the end of my days. And so one of the things that you know, I find about your stories are that you do kind of bear all with what you have gone through. And it's with the idea that you are now on the other side of a lot of that. And does that mean life is wonderful and perfect each and every day? No, of course not. It isn't for anybody. But you are willing to say, here's what I went through. I'm sure you went through something similar and let people look at that and hopefully use the book to actually have people be introspective about their lives and the events of their lives and how they've been changed and can grow through those. Mm -hmm. the, the next story I wanted you to talk about was how you got started in writing, because this always comes up with authors, like where did that begin for you? What was your calling? How does that happen? You were a young woman with babies when you decided you wanted to do some writing. And, and that had been your calling maybe since you were very young. But I'll let you tell the story about what was your introduction into the field of writing, the first article you wrote. Yeah, well, first, I was not um, a person who grew up thinking that I would be a writer. I had friends who wanted to be writers. And in fact, when I became one, they were all shocked because I was the least likely person to do this. And I, I, I tend to um, stumble into things. I, I, I don't tend to choose them. I, I just kind of find myself in that world and, and then decide, do I want to stay there or not? So with the um, writing, um, I used to get cloth diapers and every Tuesday there'd be a publication for moms and dads. And I just loved it because it was just, it was all about staying home or being with babies, whether they were working outside the home or not. <clears throat> and one day I saw this little ad that said, you know, there was a writing group and you could bring your kids. And I was like, that'd be great. You know, I, I was kind of a closet writer. I did journaling for years and years. I mean, I even carried my typewriter on the airplane. I just always journaled. Um, so I thought this would be fun. And I thought they would sit around and read short stories. And it turned out to be these powerful women who had deadlines and editors. And they were showered and clean. And their kids were clean and fed. And we were not showered, my children and I. And we were a mess. And 
I just really looked up to them and I wanted to hang around them because I thought time management skills, if nothing else, I would get from this group. And then they, they told me that I had to write if I wanted to stay with them after a while. And so I, I wrote an article about being um, having a picky eater as a child. And um, that was my introduction. And when I, that article came out in the paper, you know, the baby diaper service paper, I got a month of free diapers. And, but the byline, when I saw the byline, I was just so happy. I danced around the yard and I realized this was something my kids could not undo. You know, everything else in my life, if I cleaned, if I cooked, if I changed them, whatever, it was undone soon. Right. And, and this byline just stayed there. It was great. It wasn't yeah. ever going to be taken away from you once you got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's when Colleen knew she was an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> but probably not the first time. I said, uh, there are so many stories in this I can, book. That... I can remember my first byline. I, I got that when I wrote an article for Offshore Racing magazine talking about a the offshore races in Sarasota, which was uh, an annual event. They keep kind of moving the location between a couple of cities here. But back in the day, it was quite a big deal. It raised a lot of money to help children. And the offshore racing magazine said, you're, you're having the races there in Sarasota and we'd like an article. And so I, I wrote all about the offshore races in Sarasota. And then the magazine came out and I got a copy and there it was by Suzanne Mitchell. I was so excited. And of course, I still have that magazine <laughs> among my things because that was the first. Did, what What is your story about that, Carrie? Have you seen your name with a byline? Oh, yes, of course you have. Yes, I have. In uh, fact, recently. Uh, well, yes, I had done prior work, actually. <laughs> there, but... Do you remember your first? I do. I wrote an editorial piece there for the now defunct, and I, I swear I had no hand in that, but the Los <laughs> Angeles Herald Examiner newspaper, and I wrote a, an editorial in admiration of one of my boyhood sports heroes and how he exemplified all the characteristics that I would wish to emulate there. And that, you know, there are contrasts to be drawn between the way one handles oneself in public versus the way other people handle themselves. And so there's a story right there. And it, it went back to my childhood in terms of my affection for this particular athlete, Brooks Robinson, still with us, fortunately, the uh, Hall of Fame third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. And when I saw my, my byline there, I was just as Colleen was, I don't recall any dancing. However, <laughs> I was exultant. I really was, I was in my living room looking at this paper and I thought, wow, that finally happened. This is something about which I had fantasized. And it speaks to desire, it speaks to imagination, the willingness to put yourself out there, and then to see your name alongside your opinion, or whatever it is, your written expression in print. It's a wonderful thing. And it also sort of, it tickles you into a greater sense of who you can be, if you continue to engage in significant ways with the people you contact, whether it's in person, or in print or on the radio, you you try to exert the positive influences whenever you can and just be grateful for the opportunities. Right. And, and in my story, I talk about how, you know, I had not set out to be a writer, 
and how sometimes you do things in life and you don't know that that step is going to lead to a new career or whatever. And, you know, we just need to be open to things that, that come up and not think that we have the road planned. You know, I remember telling my kids, you know, travel along the road and then look up every once in a while, look around. Do you still like the path you're on or do you want to do a detour? <laughs> Excellent. That's an excellent metaphor. Yeah, yeah, very good. You, I congratulate you, Colleen, on the publication and the one-year anniversary of your book. But also, I am so enamored of many of the stories you have included. They show your reading public, as well as your friends, a side of yourself that we didn't know existed. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Suzanne? Well, well, one story in particular, but your first chair. So you I'm go ahead, pick up I'm, that I'm, fiddle. I'm, we have had conversations both on air and off air now for weeks about, and I'm going to say like at least six weeks, about addictions. And you can be addicted to anything. Right away, people think drugs and alcohol. You know, I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to alcohol. But an addiction can be anything. I have been facing and working with an addiction to sugar. I love my sweets. And it has, you know, caused me to have too many yeast in my body that are feeding on the on the sugars. And so for about six or eight weeks now, I have limited my sugar about 99% to what I used to have, you know, no candies, no cookies, no ice cream, you know, cakes, pies, I am down to the 1% and trying to eliminate the yeast from my body, I'm eliminating sugars. But I look at it like an addiction. I have a friend who's addicted to Diet Coke. I have, I know people who are addicted to alcohol and drugs. And I have a neighbor who has been diagnosed with diabetes. And he said he is not giving up any of his favorite foods because he just likes them and he's going to eat them and that's that. And he doesn't care about the diabetes. And so we've been looking and talking about how you can be addicted to anything. And again, this is a story that you kind of told on yourself, but it was the story about your addiction to volunteerism. And I thought, there we go. Another addiction, another way in which we are feeding a need that we have. So before we go to break, please tell us the story of a time to give and a time to stay home. Page 40, 41. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, volunteerism sounds like a, a wonderful lofty thing to do, but uh, I took it a little bit too far. And instead of volunteering, you know, once a week or, you know, three times a month or something, I was doing sometimes like two or three meetings a day. And finally, um, I was out with some moms who also volunteered a lot. And one of them said, you know, we're, we're spending so much time helping the schools and the kids organizations that we're not spending much time with our kids. And I was very surprised to, um, to hear that. And, and I kept thinking about it and I was like, gosh, you know, she's right. You know, if in, in the back of my, of this story, I have, you know, the idea of doing a, a pie shape and figuring out where you're spending your time. And I realized 
that if I did that with my time, you know, a big chunk of that was volunteering and that I needed to adjust that and, you know, spend more time with my family and my children and, um, and less time doing the volunteer work at the schools and the political organizations and things like that. And so, um, you know, it was a gradual thing to, you know, start reining it back and, and learning to say no, which was a very interesting thing because I always said yes to anything, you know, can you do this? Yes, yes, you know, I'll change my schedule, I'll do whatever. But uh, once I learned to say no, I really liked it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, learning to say no, I think is even a little bit harder for women than men, because we're always that. You remember one time when I said no at church. Yes, yes. <laughs> she was that, and boy, they try to get you with the kids. Hey, do you want to uh, buy this cupcake? It's going to help send the kid to camp. And Suzanne was asked this, and she just looked at the woman and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> we will not be participating today. There and, and the lady just, I mean, she, was, she wasn't nasty about it or anything. It was just like, oh, well then, all right. <laughs> but that's, it's all those little hooks, Colleen. It's those people who are like, you want what's best for your family, don't you? No, actually, I don't give a damn. They can rot in hell. I, it's all about me and forget you. There, there are communications of any kind involve the personal perspective and if we even attempt to be objective or point to something greater than ourselves, we are engaging in risky behavior, if only to the extent that when we speak our truth, when we share our perspectives, there are people who are going to find that unfriendly, untoward, unacceptable, and sometimes they let you know about it. Have mm -hmm. you experienced that? Huh? Well, you know, especially because I did always say yes. So I was like in the category of who can we count on all the time? And then all of a sudden for me to say no, you know, I mean, people are not used to that, you know. Now what are they going to do when the, the solid person is not stepping forward? So it was kind of a learning experience for me and for the other people to, you know, have a bigger pool to draw on. And people will say, you know, I used to like Colleen a lot. <laughs> I remember when she was agreeable, but something, I, I don't know, something happened there. And She's less helpful than she used to be. Yeah, I remember when she was nice. <laughs> and that when people, we all remember the human potential movement, personal growth. There was a, it was top of mind for so many people in our society back in the 70s and early 80s. And I was told by a very reputable psychologist with whom I sought counseling for a little while. He was very helpful to me. He was a good guy there. And he said, you know, if you want to be more assertive, it's great to do that. Just know that there are people, the research indicates that there are people who will respect you more and like you less for your newfound assertiveness. Very so, true. Oh, do you find at so many points in life, we're at choice. You need yeah. to choose one yeah. way or the other and it's hard to be both it's true yeah yeah not everybody's gonna like but that's where you learn to be true to yourself and I kind of feel like my body is a barometer and um you know when things come in I can feel like oh no no that's not quite right um, it might be right for somebody else 
but it, it just doesn't feel right for me. And so, you know, I have to keep checking in for myself and being able to stand up for myself. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing. That is a critical life skill, no doubt about it. Colleen Foy Bolin, our friend and a creative author who does so much good in the world by speaking her truth, and she has stories to back it up. Perfect guest for Manson Mitchell. Savoring Life's Spiritual Moments. That's the title of her book. It's a one-year-old now and still with a vibrant message for anyone who is into their own personal growth and who would like to be a good world citizen as we're all sharing this planet together at this time, savoring life's spiritual moments. Stories from the book, more of Colleen's perspective when we come back. You're listening to Manson Mitchell right here at the epicenter of Alternative Talk right there in Seattle, AM 1150. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. And our guest this hour, Colleen Foy Bolin, who has written a book called Savoring Life's Spiritual Moments, The Alchemy of Transforming Everyday Experiences into Life-Changing Events. Colleen has done a magnificent job of doing exactly that, taking everyday experiences and transforming her own life and then putting it to paper as an author so that other people can transform their lives when they're reading these stories. Colleen, if people would like to connect with you, is there a website? Where can they get your book? Is there anything going on that you would like to share with our listeners? 
well, first, my book is available on Amazon. You can either put in um, Savoring Life Spiritual Moments or Colleen Bolin, and it'll pop up. You can buy it either for Kindle or um, paperback. And I do have a website. It is www.colleenfoybolin.com. And on that website, I have um, a blog and I have a little bit about the artwork that I have put in the um, book. Um, because for the art, I, I take like everyday pictures and then I transform them into mandalas. And I kind mm. of see that as what I've done with the writing part is taking everyday experiences we might have and then looking for the jewels and the gems that might be in there. Mm. You know, I've always been uh, interested in mandalas and I've seen them being done with little grains of sand. And, and then I know that when that is over, you take all the sand out. And so it's like, this is the creation and destruction of life. And I've never done a mandala. However, I have done puzzles. And so there you take all the puzzle pieces, you put it all in order, you make a puzzle, and then you take it all apart and put it back in the box. That's the closest I've come to doing a mandala. I've done puzzles. <laughs> I built a sand volcano in third grade. Okay, well, that counts, Gary. Okay, that thank counts. you. I couldn't get the thing to erupt, though. They, I only got a C. More stories from Colleen Boy, Boland's wonderful book. Get, get to riding the rails, riding the rails. I know cannot what? believe that Colleen rode the rails. This, this, this is unbelievable. Woman, this woman is a wild child, an absolute wild child. Now we know her as just this sweet, lovely lady. Which she is. We've had on our show. I think this is the fourth time now. And, um, and so we don't think of her as the wild child, but one of her stories is called adrenaline junkie and when gary and i read it we were completely amazed colleen and so please tell us what what kind of adrenaline junkie would do what exactly <laughs> well in this story um i i take a weekend and i am a, a hobo i actually uh hop a freight train and travel to spokane with a with a friend, I had grown up across the street from railroad tracks. And so I was always hearing the, the noises, the brakes and the coupling and the uncoupling. And we would go over and just sit in them and daydream about what it would be like to be a hobo. And, and then I, when I first, my first teaching job was right near a freight yard. And one of the other teachers had tried hopping a train and she liked it so she invited me to go with her and um I liked it um I loved going you know the, the scenery was absolutely gorgeous I would never recommend anybody do this it is illegal which um we found out at the end of the trip um could be really serious when um they call them rail bulls they're kind of like the police for the rail yard and we got caught and um, fortunately, the man took um, pity on us. But I realized how, how dangerous it was, not just, you know, the whole getting on the 
train and getting off and riding it, which is dangerous in and of itself. But, you know, the other people that are in the train yard who may not have my best interest at heart, who, you know, might want to, you know, take what I have or, you know, hurt me in some way. And um, that was when I really realized that, that I needed to really give up the um, life-threatening kinds of adrenaline rushes that I was doing. Although, I will tell you, um, I haven't given up everything. Um, I just had my 70th birthday in August, and I tandem skydived. So, oh, oh my God. goodness. <laughs> now, are we talking early August, mid August, right. late August? When, when's your birthday, my dear? Leo. I'm a Leo. She's I, a Leo. I okay, that. I can and, see. And that. what day? August what? Fourth. August. August. Oh, okay. Four. All right. Yeah, solid Leo. Leo. Oh. <laughs> You're a wild woman, Colleen, and it, it was not only adventure, but it was a misadventure when you were trying to get away from some scary looking men and you were weaving in and out of the rail yard, you actually got on the wrong train to come back. To come back. Right, and that's how we ended up getting into the um, train yard where we got caught was, it's kind of well known for um, having severe police Rail police, yeah. Probably a lot of unsavory characters there, so they put the police where the police are needed most, <laughs> and then they run into you and your friend who don't really look so unsavory. You got a couple of backpacks, and you know you look like right. you, you. You would have looked like a couple of hippies, <laughs> right? Riding the rails. Yeah. And yeah. The 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 bull who ultimately took pity on you made mention of. The kind of damage that could be done by the local tramps who were not no respecter of persons they just they did what they did and i thought it's interesting because i wonder if if justice is applied equally to people who do this as a rather a profession versus a couple of amateurs like you and your friend going and doing that there it's almost like well are you this hard on the tramps are you trying to actually get rid of them and i suppose they were but it's almost like there are some facets of society that are accepted as a fact of life yeah. And, and like I said, you know, he took pity on us. He could tell, you know, we had, you know, relatively new backpacks and we didn't look like we belonged there at all, which we didn't. I was a preschool teacher. Um, yeah. You, so. you could have been put in jail and he made that very clear. He said, if I ever see you two again, you will not only go to jail, but I'll recommend doubling that sentence. And then he was kind enough to actually drive you to a bus depot and say, you know, you're not going to ride the rails back to Seattle. Here's the bus depot. And so mm -hmm. you, you made it back safely. And at that point, you did decide that although it was an experience that you would never forget, it was also unrepeatable. You said, I, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't take that kind of risk with my life. And interestingly enough, your friend said, oh, really? I was planning our next trip. <laughs> and so she didn't have the same reaction you had to uh, getting caught and realizing the dangers of it. But uh, an experience that I would say not very many people have had. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, 
Um, a lot of people are on those rails now, but they're not rails anymore. Those lines have been turned into trails instead of rails <sighs> because so many old railroad tracks are now becoming walking and biking trails. We have a, a, a line here in Sarasota, they're calling the Legacy Trail, probably right now about 20 miles long, and it's going to be longer because they keep working on it. And I thought, how great to transform, repurpose those old rail lines from something potentially dangerous into something really wonderful. And not only that, but upgrading all the neighborhoods that they're going through to be able to live a block or two from one of these trails that you can walk and bike on, I think yeah. is, is yeah. really, really wonderful. And it's interesting you would talk about, you know, turning something from kind of dangerous to, you know, walking. Um, and in, in the story, I talk about, you know, changing um, addictions that could potentially harm oneself um, to, yes. to a positive one. Absolutely. You know, so instead of, you know, hopping freight trains, you know, I would get my heart pumping by you know, doing speaking or going on a roller coaster or, you know, I found other ways. Um, I didn't totally give up that, the feeling of excitement, but I yes. found um, more um, <laughs> safer, well, ways, safer, safer <laughs> ways of being excited. Exactly. And, and you know, the number one fear uh, of all is public speaking. When people list their fears, like over thousands and thousands of people, public speaking is number one and death is number two, which means you, you would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. Standing on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty incredible. Yes. Also, you know how you can tell whether or not you're an atheist? By the feeling in your gut when you're at the top of the Ferris wheel and it suddenly gets stuck. <laughs> it tells you a lot about yourself. Earlier in the interview, you said, uh, I didn't think I would be a writer. Here you were getting your diapers delivered with a little newsletter. And then the newsletter said, you know, if you want, submit an article. And you, you found the exact thing that you wanted to write about, having a picky eater. That was in your bailiwick with small children at home and having a picky eater. That was a synchronicity. And in the book, you, you talk about synchronicities in life. And Gary and I love the topic of synchronicities because if you're paying attention, they are everywhere. And so I wanted you to say a little bit about synchronicities. No, I agree with you. I think once you um, open yourself to that possibility that it isn't just a happenstance that, you know, there's a a system, you know, that we can pay attention to. Um, it's, it's, I think it makes it fun. I think all of these things that, that we're talking about today just make life more fun. I mean, why would I want, not want to see the synchronicities? I mean, it just feels like little magical moments that are, that are coming into my life. And, and I want to really enjoy them. You know, I can remember a time, again, when my kids were little, and I decided I needed to do something really different. And so I took a Japanese class. I had never studied Japanese. And I thought, well, I'll try that. So I went to a Japanese class and I met a man named JJ and he was a interpreter for the deaf. 
And through him, I ended up getting a job at the Deaf Center. And my then partner um, found a computer school to go to to learn how to do programming. And it was all because I went to a Japanese class. You know, I mean, I think that's amazing that um, those kinds of things, you know, can can happen. You know, I go to a a meeting that I think, you know, the women will just be writing little stories for themselves and they turn out to be, you know, very knowledgeable and very willing to share their writing knowledge. And, you know, decades later, um, I'm publishing a book. Who would have thought? My mom was a very amateurish painter. She loved to oil paint and her early works look uh, like some Van Gogh works without being Van Gogh. They were just kind of wild and crazy. And um, she walked into a woman's house one time as a realtor. And the woman had the most gorgeous paintings on her wall. And my mom said they were breathtaking. And, and here she was very amateurishly painting. And she was saying, these are some of the most beautiful paintings I've ever seen. And the woman said, I have a painting class. If you would like to join us, Tuesdays, we meet for three hours on Tuesday afternoon in my basement. And I don't charge a lot of money, but you're welcome to join us. And my mom said, Oh, my gosh, that would just be heaven. And so my mom gathered up her oil paints and and her easel and her canvases, and went and parked her things in this woman's basement. Well, it turns out the woman had several students. My mom was one of three others, plus the woman who owned the home, and they all painted together. What my mm. mom noticed is that all the other students were unbelievably magnificent. And she was the least of them talent-wise, but they were all helping each other. They would walk around and say, oh, well, if you just shape the hand this way, or if you put a little dark on the back of this flower, it'll stand out more. And they each walked around and helped each other with their paintings. She found out that two of the other students who were working this, with this woman had their works hung at the Art Institute of Chicago. And she was completely blown away by that. But what that did, that experience, put my mom leaps and bounds ahead in her learning how to paint and her paintings went from amateurish to really really good because she was working with good talent and there's a synchronicity all she did was you know try to show a woman's house and admire her paintings next thing you know her own paintings became so much better mm -hmm. from that synchronicity from, from and I love the, that they were willing to share their knowledge. I think that's yes. so important, you know, I mean. Right, and that's what you're talking about with the writers, you know, put yeah. good people sharing each other's, um, you know, good mm -hmm. fortunes and the things that they know is. Because um, we're not going to take right. away from each other. I mean, if we all wrote about, you know, uh, bananas, um, we would have a different take on it, you know. And, and so we're, we're not competition with each other. We're, you know, we're here to help each other along and figure out how we can all, um, you know, move on this path of life in a positive way. You know, you said positive way, and you're just feeding right into the last story that I think we're going to have time for today. 
And not only is it a good story, but you have some very concrete suggestions for our listeners about what they can do to find how their own savoring of life's spiritual moments. And it's on page 48. Your story Mm -hmm. is called Be Happy, Be Grateful. And I wanted you to, to tell that story last today. Well, in, in, in this piece and, you know, the different research that, that I talk about, it, it, um, I, it's how uh, gratitude can really um, make a huge difference in people's lives. You know, they had um, in the research project that I mentioned, they had um, different people do different things. So one group wrote down gratitudes every day, another group wrote down what went wrong, and another group just wrote down whatever they wanted. And the people who um, were grateful um, tended to feel more elevated. Um, they, there's a system that has been researched where we all kind of have a base happy line or status normal line. And when we get happy, we go into the happiness and then we kind of come back to that. And when we get sad or depressed or angry, we go into that and we come back. But we have kind of a baseline. And what they found is that if you're full of gratitude and you're looking for gratitude and you're writing down things that you're grateful for that your baseline itself raises up a little bit and so then um you know i i find that to be a very positive thing and there's so many things to be grateful for you know i was i was thinking of one of the other stories that we didn't talk about but where i'm i meet a um deaf blind woman at a time when i'm feeling really sorry for myself and And she says, can you see? And I said, yeah. And she said, can you hear? And I said, yes. And she's like, oh, you must be so happy. And and I had just been wallowing in self-pity. And, and, you know, when she said that, I was like, yes. You know, I, I was looking at the wrong things. I was looking at what I didn't have instead of what I do have. And that doesn't mean that you don't pay attention to things you want to change or bring into your life. But while you're, you know, moving forward and wanting to gain or become something else, it's good to be grateful for, um, you know, just think, I mean, we have water, right? Tap water, right? In our living situation, you know, we have a lot of things that uh, we may not stop to actually be grateful for all the time. I hope there's still, we've got about four minutes to go. Could you tell the story briefly about the person who saw the words cancer free in a way that seems like a perfect synchronicity? Yes. Yeah. So a a friend of mine was giving her sister-in-law a a healing treatment and the sister-in-law had cancer. And when she was done, um, my friend turned on the TV and there was this ad for something about, you know, be cancer-free. She went, well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, here I just treated my sister-in-law who has this, but she didn't do anything about it. And then um, the next time she treated her sister-in-law, which was a different day, a different time, um, again, after the session, she turned on the television and the same ad was there again, cancer-free. Um, so at that time, you know, the light bulb went off and she went, <laughs> if this is going to keep happening, maybe I should write down this information and, 
and give it to my sister-in-law. But uh, yeah, that, Boy, yeah, that's, that's you know, paying yeah. attention. Paying attention to the synchronicities. And there is a so-called law of attention. You know, it's like if I uh, I say, wow, yellow Volkswagen, how about that? A yellow bug there and you're driving along on the highway before long. What do you know? You keep noticing these yellow Volkswagens from 60 years ago. I don't know the principle behind it, except to say synchronicity. I don't claim to know how it works. It just seems speaking phenomenologically that it does work that way. You pay attention to something for whatever reason, usually if it's motivated by some personal reason and maybe with a bit of emotion behind it, and then it starts to show up in life almost as if you had ordered these experiences or perceptions off a menu of some kind. Yeah. So yeah, once, yeah. once you do it, you can keep doing it. That's the beauty of it. You know, wow, that happened. Well, let's try it in this phase of my life. Let's try it at this moment. And it seems to be a very reliable principle. Mm-hmm. And when I the, think looking for those happy moments, um, you know, it, it just makes life more joyful to find things that, that excite you or make you laugh or things like that. It just makes every day happier. The subtitle of your book, Savoring Life Spiritual Moments, is The Alchemy of Transforming Everyday Experiences into Life-Changing Events. You, you mentioned briefly during the hour that at the end of every story, there is a little section that is um, make it yours. Make, make it your story? Make yeah. it your story. And so there's a, usually just a, a quick paragraph but it's about after people read about what happened to you or what you went through, that they can stop for a moment and think about how that applies to them. And, and so the idea of having synchronicities, the idea of having happy moments, of paying attention to things that come into your consciousness is all different ways of savoring those moments of your life. And you need a little bit of coaching to do that. Sometimes, you know, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to pay attention to. Think about this. What experience did you have? And so you kind of take people by the hands as a a coach, as it were, and say, now think about this for yourself. And so when, when you do that, I mean, Gary and I came up with a bunch of examples for us when we were reading your book oh yeah i remember that time when because i think it it helps to remind people about the good and with that we are concluding our presentation at this hour we just love talking to you again colleen we won't wait so long before your next visit colleen foy bolin b-o-l-l-e-n for those who are looking perhaps on amazon to buy her book savoring life's spiritual moments Thank you, Colleen. And thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in today. Uh, thank you so much. A stay, pleasure. Stay tuned for the Christy Up Church show and later American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. I hope this is the start of an enjoyable and yet memorable, important weekend for all of you. Thank you. Thank you.